The sea was angry that day, my friends. Like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. I got about 50 feet out and suddenly the great beast appeared before me. I tell you, he was 10 stories high if he was a foot. As if sensing my presence, he let out a great bellow. I said, easy, big fella. And then, as I watched him struggling, I realized that something was obstructing its breathing. From where I was standing, I could see directly into the eye of the great fish. Mammal. Whatever. Well, what did you do next? Well, then, from out of nowhere, a huge tidal wave lifted me, tossed me like a cork, and I found myself right on top of him, face to face with the blowhole. I, I, I could barely see from the waves crashing down upon me, but I knew something was there. So I reached my hand in, felt around, and pulled out the obstruction. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. Congratulations, Stephen. This is our 100th episode of Bask. Yes, congratulations. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. My God, I can't believe you've been with me for 100 of these things. I know. And plus, bonus stuff we've done as well. Crazy. Yeah, 100 regular episodes. So, I know. Probably yeah. like 10,000 <laughs> clips. <laughs> Not quite. No. Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, a podcast where we talk about Seinfeld's secondary characters, the unsung heroes of the greatest sitcom of all time. My name is Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And this is our 100th episode, so whether you are listening for the very first time or you've been with us since episode one, thank you so much for your support as always, and uh, yeah, we've definitely reached another milestone of this podcast, and Stephen, we have been kicking quite a few goals over the last uh, month or so with regards to the uh, podcast awards and uh, extra listeners and downloads and subscribers and stuff that we've experienced. So it's been a really good run. Yeah, no, and uh, it fits really well with our 100th episode. So if you've uh, listened to us or spread the word uh, or just been with us from the very start, thank you. We uh, couldn't have gotten here without you. We appreciate it more than we can say. Yeah, and we really enjoy uh, bringing you week-by-week analyses of uh, secondary characters from episodes. Indeed. And this week we will be talking about, and this came from a user vote a little while ago, a Twitter vote actually and a Facebook poll. Yes. Yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about the classic episode and uh, an episode that appears in a lot of top 10 lists uh, from when it first aired even until today and mm-hmm. that episode is The Marine Biologist from season 5 episode 14 and it's actually one of Jerry's favourite episodes uh, yeah. The Marine Biologist so yeah in my research it. I yeah. did see uh, him say that yeah so the secondary characters we're talking about today uh, we're talking about Diane who is George's love interest uh, Yuri Testikov a curmudgeon old dude and he's Russian so I reckon he'll be up there in your top 20 secondaries of all time Stephen we'll wait and see and also the very sassy and better than I expected character Corinne yeah played by Carol Kane yes very sassy I also have a couple of notes on the hotel clerk and uh, the woman on the beach as well when uh, George turns up to the whale (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) to do what he's supposed to do and one of the greatest monologues in Seinfeld and possibly in TV history came from George indeed Indeed. if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at bidwabask b-i-d-w-b-a-s-c podcast at gmail.com you can say hello on Twitter Instagram Facebook and Reddit you can listen to this podcast and all previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to subscribe to us or review us or spread the word about us that would be amazing that would be fantastic now Stephen I will grab my Seinfeld trivia fact of the week 
And uh, I am moving house, so I've packed basically all the Seinfeld paraphernalia for our desk. But I have got one card that I left over. So as soon as I've read this out, I'm chucking it in the bin with the other refuse that I've got. Fair enough. Uh, And just in case you're not aware of the source of our trivia facts, uh, last year, our occasional co-host and friend of the pod, Stacey, uh, bought a desk calendar called Seinfeldia. And uh, we just pick a random date and read a fact off it. That's right, yeah. So these are, well, they're not necessarily out of date. They're still pretty valid, but uh, they're from the 2018 calendar. So here it is, Stephen. Our trivia fact of the day. You know that Stephen Larry David was paid only $25,000 for the pilot of the Seinfeld Chronicles. That's still pretty bloody good. Yeah. I've never been paid twenty five grand in one lump sum for anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's not bad. Yeah, not bad. I not mean, bad. by comparison to what they earn... Uh, now, you know, mm-hmm. now that shows in syndication and for whatever they do now. But to, to start off, 25 grand is nothing to sneeze at. Not bad, yeah. Not bad at That's all. That's like half someone's salary. Yeah. Someone's on average salary. Yeah, so. half a working class salary. Yeah. Not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Not too bad. Anyway, Stephen, Seinfeld isms. What do you have this week? I have zero. None for our hundredth. No. Oh, man. No. Although I was on the beach the other day and I came across a whale. <laughs> what? Was it like. A fat person or a literal whale? No, an actual whale. An actual whale. A beached a, whale. A fish. Yeah. Mammal. Unfortunately, it died. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I came across the great fish. Mammal. Whatever. Mammal. Whatever. Was was there a tightless in its blowhole? Yeah, there was. Oh, me. Funnily enough. Damn it. Uh, I knew yeah. I shouldn't have gone to the beach <laughs> to play golf. God damn it. Do you have any Seinfeldisms? Uh, no, none for me this week. Oh, God damn. damn. For our hundredth. Oh, well. Can't time. force them. No, we can't. Uh, Seinfeld News. Seinfeld News. How many pieces do you have this week, my friend? Just two. Alrighty. What Quite have we got? week. Yep. Uh, so, Senator Ted Cruz, a controversial, shall we say, uh, politician in America. He has been criticizing his direct opponent, the Democratic nominee for president. Uh, oh, sorry, the Democratic, um, not nominee. Uh, the Democratic entrance. He's, he's, in the, he's in the run to be the nominee for yeah, the president. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his name's Michael Bennett. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been campaigning against each other because I think Ted Cruz has put his hat into the ring. Um, oh, no, he wouldn't. Anyway, we're not talking politics. Uh, anyway, Ted Cruz has been, uh, being a Republican, has been criticizing Michael Bennett's uh, presidential campaign. And uh, in a tweet, he called it a Seinfeld campaign. Yes. Because he basically called the campaign uh, a nothing campaign. It said it's empty and it's based on manufactured outrage. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there has been a response from uh, Jason Alexander on Twitter only That's today. Right. Yeah. Uh, funnily <laughs> enough. And I almost missed this, actually, because I, um, I didn't think there would be any Seinfeld news today, but I'm glad I checked. He uh, responded, and Jason Alexander is quite an open Democratic supporter. He said that the jerk still called and they're running out of you, oh. referring to Ted Cruz, who is the original yeah. uh, person who's criticizing Michael Bennett's campaign. And on our Twitter page, we did retweet that. We loved it. Yeah, pretty That's good. So good. I was like, oh, yeah. you're my spirit animal, George. Yeah, I mean, regardless Finally. of uh, your political affiliation, the fact that uh, Jason Alexander can jump into the ring with uh, a quote. Um, you know, from more than 20 years ago is pretty good. I was wishing that he recorded a video and he stood up with like all this shrimp in front of him and then he wiped his mouth and then he said it yeah. in the camera. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I reckon a subtle quote would have been a bit better. Like, yeah, yeah I don't know. A subtle, a subtle tweet is a bit, a bit more classy than re, redoing the scene, you know? And then Ted Cruz will reply saying, well, let's talk to the store. You're their all-time bestseller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, no, we'll no. come up with like a retweet or a reply. Even for today's American political climate, that would have been a bit too wacky, I think. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the second bit of news, uh, it's been confirmed through the week that uh, Wilco's Jeff Tweedy, uh, Wilco was sort of like a folk country band. Um, they're an awesome band, actually. In the 90s, yeah? 2000s? Uh, 90s and 2000s. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Their biggest album, I think, came out in 2001, 2002. It's called Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, yeah. Really good. 
um, bit of a genre sort of, um, I guess you would say a genre leader. YHF. Yeah. Mm. Um, the singer who also has a, a, a pretty successful solo career, his name is Jeff Tweedy, and he'll be appearing in the next season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, okay. No word on whatever character he'll be playing um, or what episode um, he'll appear in. Yeah. He's just been photographed on set, and it has been confirmed, I think, by Curb or maybe by uh, Tweedy's management or something. Um, and the season won't air until at least next year, maybe yeah. even 2021. So okay. I think they're putting it together really slowly. Fair cool. And uh, that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, Stephen. What do you reckon? Should we just jump straight into the plot synopsis? Sounds good. For The Marine Biologist, Season 5, Episode 14. This episode was first aired in the US on February 10, 1994, directed by Tom Sharones, written by Ron Hogg and Charlie Rubin. While having a conversation with Elaine about his favourite t-shirt, Golden Boy, Jerry tells her the novel War and Peace was originally called War, What Is It Good For? A reference to Edwin Starr's hit song, War. Uh, Kramer gives Elaine an electronic organiser. I was thinking of the organiser, Stephen. Do you reckon it was a Willard by Bob Sacamano Sr.? Probably. But then again, it came from the bank, so it's probably a wizard. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Because the Willards were the knockoffs. Yeah. We spoke about that in our last week's episode. I reckon if a bank was going to give away a free organiser just for setting up an account with them, they'd give, out, give, they'd give away knockoffs. They're probably knockoffs? Yeah. yeah. You know, okay. I mean, imagine a bank giving away, like, an <laughs> iPad. Yeah. You know, that's really expensive. Even if they got it for cheap from <laughs> Apple or whatever in bulk, they would give away some knockoff version of a tablet for put, opening up a new account. Put at least $1,000 in your bank account and you get an iPad. Yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just for opening account, would they give away something that's worth hundreds of dollars or no. a knockoff? Probably, probably a knockoff. Probably a knockoff. So it was probably Willard. Yeah. <laughs> they probably made a deal with Sacramento Senior yeah. and got it. And that would explain, you know, why it beeps. That's Way right. too much as well. So. Yeah, manufacturing defect. Exactly. And also, Jerry got a tape recorder from the bank. He yeah. mentions as well that tape recorder they used in a later scene. Yeah. So, there you go. Just cheap knockoffs. And the tape recorder screws up as well. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Yeah. Probably also made by Sacramento Senior. That's right. <laughs> uh, Kramer heads to the beach, Rockaway Beach, uh, to hit 600 tightless golf balls uh, into the ocean. Jerry runs into George's college crush, Diane, played by Rosalind Allen, and tells her George is now a marine biologist. Yeah, he's studying how to... Uh, decrease the weight or is the calories of the whale? The blubber in the whales. The blubber in the whales. The cholesterol in the whales. But, uh, you know, they're the world's biggest mammal. But as George says, they they don't don't have have to to be. be. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Uh, Intrigued, Diane asks Jerry for his number, for George's number. George is upset because he thinks he can't convincingly pretend to be a marine biologist. I always wanted to be an architect. Why don't you make me an architect? (laughs) I know my own alleys, George. (laughs) Jerry. Yes. Elaine shares what Jerry told her with renowned Russian author Yuri Testikov, played by George Murray. Murdoch, who's being courted by Pendant Publishing. This causes an argument between Elaine, Mr. Lippman, and Testikoff. When Elaine can't shut off her electronic organiser's beeping, Testikoff angrily grabs it from her and tosses it out of the window of the limousine that they're sharing. It hits a woman named Corinne, Carol Kane, in the head. She finds Jerry's phone number in the organiser and calls him. Corinne says she won't return Elaine's organiser until she's compensated for her hospital bill. Since Elaine destroyed her contacts book upon getting the organiser, she needs it back, but feels that Testikoff should pay for Corinne's bill. They meet in the hotel room with a tape recorder hidden in, in Elaine's bag, rather. They record a confession, but Testikoff is irritated by the noise of the tape recorder and digs it out of his bag. He really hates noises, doesn't he? Does, he does, yeah. Just, I've got a theory about that, but we can talk about that when we uh, talk about Testikoff. Yeah, I've got a few ideas about that, Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I was like, hmm, yeah, I seem to be joining the dots here. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, Testikoff throws the recorder out the window, hitting Corinne in the head while she waits outside to return the electronic organiser. I love in the next scene, you know how Kramer... <laughs> 
lifeguard comes home from the beach and he tries to get sand down. He drops the boot from the window and it hits Newman in the head. Yeah. <laughs> it I like love, mirrors that. I love Newman's upbeat, brisk pace. <laughs> yes. You know, he probably just got some food or something or he's on his way to get lunch. That's right. And then uh, he looks up. It, it reminds me of like a Warner Brothers cartoon or, <laughs> yeah. or a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. The fact that he's just sitting there looking at it, you know, like an anvil dropping on a head or a piano dropping on the head but, rather than just moving. But, but Newman would look deadpan in the camera with a sign saying like, oh, well, help or yeah. ouch. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's a Roadrunner Wildy Coyote a, yeah, type thing. Looney Tunes style. But just the, the cartoon idea of like you could easily just move one step forward mm. instead of looking at the boot coming towards your head. But yeah, <laughs> it's funny nonetheless. Yes. At the beach, uh, George is called upon to use his um, non-existent marine biology skills to save a beached whale. Motivated by his love for Diane, <laughs> love, George approaches the whale, realises its blowhole is obstructed, and he reaches in to pull out Kramer's golf ball, the only ball that Kramer was able to hit in the ocean. George is hailed as a hero, confesses to Diane off screen that he's not really a marine biologist, and that's where his famous monologue comes in. When uh, George explains that whole story, <laughs> she dumps him in response. Jerry tells Elaine that in his latest run through the washing machine, Golden Boy didn't make it, but he's been replaced by his son, Baby Blue. Other secondary characters include uh, David Blackwood as the hotel clerk, who uh, tells Corinne to go outside. I don't want to put away from the hookers. I don't want to distract from the hookers <laughs> or something. And uh, Heather Morgan as Woman on the Beach. Trivia about the episode, Steve. I actually have quite a few. Yeah, I've got quite a few as well. Um, mm. And you mentioned this before, but Jerry, on many occasions, has uh, mentioned that this is probably one of his favourite, if not his favourite ever episode. Yeah, definitely. And not only just for George's monologue, which took the level, uh, the episode to a new level, but just because of the writing. I yeah. think he feels it's just a really well-written and strong episode on all counts. Yeah, it's just amazing. And, and that's how I feel as well. I feel like the writing... It was just so on point. You know, yeah. I, that was an episode, a classic that I haven't seen for probably six months. I haven't seen it in a long time either. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I, I, well, obviously, when I knew we were going to do it for 100th, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I can't wait. But it's just so well written. I love how everything just comes together from Elaine's electronic organizer, who she got from Kramer, that leads to the Testikoff subplot. Oh, it's just fantastic. The sand that leads on to Newman's little scene as well. And everything just mingles together like in a nice web. Yeah. It's fantastic. A nice web of MacGuffins and it just leads to a massive uh, climax at the end. Yeah. Which no, is great. It, 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 sometimes the uh, the A, B, C and sometimes D storylines coming together feels a bit forced. Yeah. Uh, but in this one, it just feels totally beautiful and natural. Absolutely beautiful Even though the idea yeah. of retrieving a, a, a golf ball from a, a whale's blowhole, blowhole, yeah is utterly ridiculous <laughs> in uh it, it just feels so real and they're real and spectacular they are i must say myself <laughs> um and speaking of the whale did you know that uh they actually had a cgi whale planned for the episode mm. but they found that george explaining the story post scene would probably have more effect yeah and i think a cgi whale would have been pretty bad and it would have been like 1994 cgi which it would have been really look, shitty, low like, budget. It would look yeah. like Lawnmower Man or something. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> or War Games or... Yeah. Oh, not War Games, uh, what's it, Tron? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, really it'd be that, that kind CGI. of... Yeah, really shit CGI. Really, like, early CGI. Yeah, and even yeah. though the budget for the show at this time was really good, yeah. I don't think there would have been much budget to make, you know, the best CGI at the time. Yeah. Yep. And George's monologue laugh is considered probably the biggest... One of the biggest studio reactions uh, since Kramer's saying, I'm out from the contest. Yeah. Season four. Yeah. I mm. mean, it's classic for a reason. Of course. Yep. And uh, Larry David's voice is the one heard uh, asking at the beach, is anyone here a marine biologist? Yes, that's right. That's him. And did you know that the uh, final monologue originally wasn't in the script? I found a video online where they talked about, uh, it was an inside look on the marine biologist and Jerry and George, basically Jerry and Larry, they explained that they had the script 
and um, they just gave it to Jason to read. Mm. And they said, Jason, can you do the monologue? Yep. Can you just read it and just do it in one hit? And mm. they go, he goes, yeah, definitely. I nailed it. And he did it in one hit. Yeah. Crazy. It's just the genius of his comedic skill. I know. Incredible. Yeah. Um, Incredible. Uh, there was also some sequences that were filmed, uh, but they were deleted prior to broadcast, uh, including George giving an in-depth account of his made-up visit to the Galapagos, Galapagos Islands, <laughs> as well as Newman finding a mentally unhinged Kramer vacuuming non-existent sand. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm kind of glad they got rid of that. Yeah. I, f- I feel like Kramer's scenes of him going crazy with the sand were enough. Well, probably too much. Yeah. Too if, much. if Newman yeah. entered his apartment and, and, you know, Kramer was mumbling to himself about sand or just up for three nights with bloodshot eyes crapping on about sand vacuuming, it just would have been a bit too weird. It sounds like a season eight or nine subplot, yeah. doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> um, and also, uh, this in the scene where Elaine complains to Kramer about her pocket organizer, you can see a glamour photo of Jerry on Kramer's wall. <laughs> Did you see that? No, I didn't. Yeah, you go back and have a look at it. Yeah, I noticed that too. Huh. Yeah, it's a photo of Jerry. Didn't know that black at all. And black and white glamour photo. Huh. Yeah. And uh, a little goof from the episode, when Jerry asks Elaine what room Testikoff is staying in, she says 308, but uh, when they go up to his door, it clearly says 507. 507. Another goof as well, Jerry's at the ATM and he's kind of saying, okay, process transaction, receipt, no, you know, those kind of things mm. next to Diane, who he doesn't know it's Diane at the time. He says receipt, no, but at the end of the sequence, he grabs a receipt. Ah. So there you go. Well, there you go. Maybe yes. he accidentally pressed yes. Maybe. Yeah. He's he, like, he, voiced he was in no. such a rush. He was yeah. like, receipt, no, yes. Yeah, but he made the mistake. Yes. And that's all the trivia that I have, Stephen. Yeah, same. Uh, why don't we have a break? And then after that, we'll get into the secondary characters from this week's episode, The Marine Biologist, our 100th ever Bidwell Bask episode. And we're glad you're here with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to, but I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's episode. We are talking about the secondary characters from the marine biologist. Uh, we've just gone through a bit of Seinfeld news, and uh, Ivan's just taking you through a comprehensive plot mm. and a bit of episode trivia as well. And uh, we're going to get to what we do best, which is the secondary characters from the episode. Let's start with Diane DeCon. Yes, and this is our 100th set of character analyses, because <laughs> it is our 100th episode. So, uh, yeah, let's start off with Diane, George's love interest. Diane DeCan, the it girl in college. Uh, played by New Zealand-American actress Rosalind Allen, uh, she appeared in TV shows All My Children and Sequest 2032. As well uh, as Home Improvement. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. Every time there's a Home Improvement reference, we chuck that sound in. Uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, interestingly, Rosalind hasn't acted since 2002. That's right. Yeah, that was her last acting credit. I, I didn't pick up which one it was, but yeah, she hasn't acted for a long time. No, she obviously had an early retirement from acting. And I was wondering, when did she move to America? She actually moved before she did Seinfeld. Because I yeah. was thinking, why wasn't she in... Like, Because usually a rite of passage for New Zealand actors in the 90s was like appearing on Hercules or Xena Warrior Princess because they were... New Zealand productions True. I was like most New Zealand actors before they go to Hollywood would that would be their rite of passage but no no credits in those shows no I, I didn't think. I didn't see when she moved or, or take note when she started appearing in American shows but I do remember reading that she studied acting in New Zealand and then maybe she graduated and then moved straight to America yeah I think that's what maybe happened she yeah. bypassed 
you know, trying to make a name for herself in New Zealand and just went straight for the big league. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I was like, why wasn't she on any of those shows? Because most New Zealand actors can't go through there first. Anyway, that's how it worked. Uh, She's also appeared in films such as Naked Gun 33 and a Third and the TV movie Dallas JR Returns. And she is a very prolific theatre actress. She's appeared in many theatre productions and she has directed award-winning productions herself. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. There you go. So Diane DeCan, the it girl of college. So clearly... uh, well, I guess I'm sure in college it's probably not as such, but would there be cliques in college? I know in high school there would have been cliques, you know, the jocks, the nerds, you know, the stereotypical cliques. The, I'm, the guessing, girls. I'm guessing in college the equivalent is like different frat houses. Frat houses, okay. So she would, have been, she would have been the head of the sorority probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing. It, it girl implies like a popular, attractive woman. Yes. Or you're. Well, yeah, young woman in college. Mm. I imagine she would have been, you know, whatever the college equivalent of like being the head cheerleader is. Yeah, okay, you know, sure. So she popular. was in there, yeah. But yeah, you know, the stereotype of the head cheerleader is that they're popular and, and beautiful, but they're also kind of mean. Mm, yeah, and that they're, you know, they deserve some sort of, um, you know, justice. Yeah. Um, and you know, they give shit to like the outcasts or the nerds. That's right. I don't think she was a mean person i think she was nice i think she was nice she was popular. Yeah. and i think she was trying to fit in you know with you know you get these hollywood films like college films where you'll get the mean girl but she's nice mm. and she kind of puts on the bullying and stuff to impress her friends and stuff i think for some reason she had a fascination with george or she just liked him but george was seen as like a nerd in school or you know lower in the social classes of college yeah i think i think george's adult life was the case in his college life as well where he was yeah. considered a loser that's right really yeah. yep um, I mean, a lot of that was probably due to his own shitty behaviour. Mm, that's I mean, right. A lot of a lot of George's bad life circumstances are, stances up because he's an awful person. Yeah, it's not like he's a nice, awesome person, and he just has a endless run of bad luck. Uh, but yeah, I think she had some sort of fascination with George. Yeah. Um, because normally people, you know, if they run into someone ten, twenty years later after college, they wouldn't ask like, "Oh, whatever happened to that guy that no one liked and who was an asshole?" But yeah. For some reason, she had some sort of sympathy or fascination with George. I don't think it was a crush. Oh, you don't? Okay. I think yeah. it was more just a. I want to understand this person. Yeah, more, more of a fascination. I want to study him like he studies whales because yeah. he says he's a marine biologist. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, more of just a, a curiosity than, yep. a, than a romantic or sort of sexual attraction. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think she's generally pleasant overall. Um, yeah, very interested in what George has to say, and mm. very stunned that but you know she thinks he's a marine biologist. She's very stunned. Yeah, isn't and I she? Th- I think that also makes her more curious. Yeah, I think um, so too. It's like, you know, why? How are you a marine biologist? You never mentioned anything about marine biology. Yeah, and you also, never took up classes. Nothing. Well, yeah, not only because he never expressed interest in marine biology in college, but I think she probably. You know, you can kind of, it doesn't always work out, but, you know, if you know someone when you're growing up and your life is coming together, you can kind of see someone's conclusion. Yeah. You know, if they're on a, on a bad path or if they're making bad choices, you can, you can assume maybe that they'll end up in a bad place. So maybe she thought that George would end up in some lowly position in, in life, whatever that may be. Um, and, you know, you could argue that he is in a lot of ways, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, at various times through the series. Yeah. But I think she was also surprised, not only by his job, but by what she saw as a miraculous turnaround. She probably thought, well, he's going to end up as something that isn't a marine biologist. Mm, yeah, yeah. And the fact that he's a marine biologist also added surprise, as well as the job itself. And then she became more attracted to him. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if she's actually... She doesn't seem to be... She se- Again, she seems more fascinated and intrigued by him rather than actually romantically or sexually attracted to him. But do you think that him doing that heroic act with the whale... Because mm. he mentions in his monologue that they hugged and they cried together and kissed and stuff. Do you think that event changed it 
do you think that probably put her across the line for him? Yeah, I mean, yeah. as as I mean, a lot of people he practices get... what he supposedly preaches. Yeah, I mean, a lot yeah. of people do get turned on by heroics. Mm. It is, it is, it does make you emotional, and those emotions can manifest as a sexual or romantic attraction for sure. Um, when you see people go above and beyond, it it resonates at a deep level. So, yeah, but. I mean, that didn't last long because she found out that George was full of shit yeah. and then immediately dumped him. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have resulted in anything other than an in-the-moment kiss at the beach. Mm. Nothing Nothing happened after that. No, nothing more than that. Um, well, George says that in his story that he told her, he said, I had to tell her that I wasn't a marine biologist. Mm. And then she said, go to hell. Yeah, exactly. And then he had to catch the bus home. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, she caught him out. Well, mm-hmm. you know, she, she went from, I think she went from intrigue to a kindling attraction mm-hmm. to being overwhelmed with admiration and, you know, sexual or romantic desire to fucking discuss. Yeah, discuss, discuss. Complete yeah. 180, as you would. I yeah. mean, that's a natural sequence of um, of events. Yeah. If, if you, you know, were hanging out with George for a day and then all of that happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah. his heroics, despite the fact he claimed he was no longer or he was never a marine biologist, his heroics weren't enough to keep her on. No. No. No, no. Because, I mean, if he... If you lie utterly, if you make up a totally different version of yourself and then you do one, I think that in someone's eyes is almost irredeemable. Mm, yeah, know, even if you yeah. do something as heroic as rest- rescuing a whale, mm-hmm. the fact that you've made up a whole life for yourself, if you just, you know, people... I mean, I've done it before where you meet someone and you really want to impress them. You might tweak the truth or you might add a few details or elaborate a bit more. Yeah. But to just invent a whole version of yourself that is completely untrue... Rescuing a whale is not going to undo that. No, that immediate damage and distrust. That's fair enough. Yeah. So she's held no nothing towards him for that for that act. Oh, she probably she on probably some, admired him on that. some level. She's probably yeah. like, well, he did a good thing. Yeah. yeah. But at its core, he's still a bad person. Yeah, and he did lie and deceive me. Yeah. Yeah. So. <sighs> yeah, and poor, I mean, poor damn. <laughs> and it's not like George. George only rescued the whale out of peer pressure. You know, he, he realized that. Well, I have to sort of step up because I've built up this lie. If he just said, yeah, I like whales and I like watching docos, and then he turned up to a beach whale, he didn't have to rescue the whale. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, was, he was sort of forced into it because he had to save face. And how often would you hear someone say, if you see a beach whale, who is a marine yeah, biologist? It's ridiculous. Like, serious? <laughs> yeah. It's, like, mean, it's yeah. like you see a rocket or something. Hey, anyone here a rocket scientist? Yeah. You know, yeah, if there's what? a rocket crash, is anyone here an astronaut? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's not, the fun as, of it. not as ridiculous as him actually you know, going through the waves and pulling out a golf ball from a blowhole. Yeah, but he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's yeah. what it all was. The thing that I had about um, Diane as well, for some reason I got the vibe that maybe she's a writer. A writer, or okay. Or a journalist or something. All right, fair yeah. enough. I don't know why. I just What I made just, you get that vibe? I don't know, nothing in particular. I had no idea about her occupation. Yeah, no, there was no hints or anything that I could actually base that on. Mm. I just looked at her and I said, <laughs> I think she's a writer. Okay, she's just, a writer. Just a guess. She's a writer. Why not? Alton's distant niece. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Elaine's eighth cousin removed or something. Yeah. Twice removed. Twice removed. (laughs) Who knows? Something like that. Maybe. (laughs) They're all all writers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you have anything else about Diane? No, but should we talk about Yuri Testakov? Indeed. War, what is it good for? (laughs) Played by George Murdoch, he appeared in the films Star Trek IV, The Final Frontier, and Orange County. He's also appeared in the TV shows The X-Files and Law & Order. Uh, He passed away in 2012, aged 81, in Burbank, California. So he is the second coming of Tolstoy, essentially. If he's as good as what they say he is, he's, yeah, uh, yeah pretty pretty prolific. Prolific yeah. Russian writer. Yeah, definitely. I It feels like maybe his, um, 
you know, new book being published by Pendant is sort of like a second coming of him. Mm. Well, he paid a million. Well, they, well, Elaine claims that Pendant's going to pay a million bucks for him. Yeah. Mm, which is a lot of money. I've kind of built a, a bit of a storyline about a, a bit of a history about him as a person. Oh, yeah, as you do. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I think, well, he's obviously Russian. Um, I think he was born into like maybe a middle class life. Okay. You know, yep. in Soviet Russia in the maybe in the 30s or the 40s, because he looks maybe 60, 65 mm. in this episode. He does. Yeah. He's, he's old. Yeah. 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 And that would make him born, you know, maybe late 20s, early 30s in Russia. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, maybe his father was a writer or some sort of creative. Yeah. Um, and he got inspiration from the father. Yeah. 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 Um, maybe he was a journo or something, you know, as much as you can be in a, in a pretty sort of authoritarian system um that was soviet russia back then but uh i would be i wouldn't be surprised maybe if he got sentenced to the gulag well um, he was in, in the gulag yeah 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 elaine yeah. mentions that yeah that's that's yeah, yeah. why i mentioned it no, no um, i think jerry mentions it yeah yeah um for promoting you know what was considered radical mm. kind of writing yeah you know, maybe anti-communist writing yeah yeah and uh you know because the gulag wasn't just a prison system it was a tool of oppression it, it sure was, was it was just mass incarceration in siberia wasn't it uh i think a lot of gulags were in siberia, in siberia. Yeah. um but they were everywhere yeah and yeah. not all of them were labor camps either some of them were just regular prisons yeah yeah gulag was actually the name of the Russian, uh, I guess, um, organization, government organization that, oh. that kind of like the whoever looks after the American prison system, you know, like the Department of Justice or whatever. Like Gulag is a shortening of the Russian government body ah. that looks after individual prisons. Sure, but it sort yep. of also became like just the the general name for a Russian prison. Fair call. Okay, yeah, I did. Yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. So yep. I wouldn't be surprised maybe if he was um, sentenced for promoting some sort of anti-communist idea or something that was considered radical um, or you know free thinking or something. He was like the pussy riot in the forties. Yeah, <laughs> he was like pussy riot. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 a fair comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, very fair. Um, but for know, literature. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And, I mean, the Gulag system, as we know it, as we think of it, stopped in around 1960, 1961. Uh -huh. Sure. I mean, there were still hard-ass Russian prison systems after that, but it wasn't what we know as and think of as the Gulag. Yeah. So, so he would have spent time in the Gulag. Yeah, I think yeah. for maybe 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Oh, that wow. That obviously changed him Man as a person. <laughs> Mandela style. Yeah. Jesus. Um, and I think when he got out, maybe he left Russia. Yeah, I think you know, so. He, I think he probably fled. I think he, I think he escaped Russia, and he made a name for himself as a writer because he was talented anyway, and he had his father's inspiration or his parents' inspiration. And, uh, you know, maybe he was quite, um, you know, radical and, and highly regarded during, like, the Vietnam protests. And, mm, yeah, you know, that of sort course. of late 60s, early, seven, early 70s kind of protest it was movement. A, he was a figure of counterculture. Yeah, exactly. In the 60s, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised maybe if he sort of went out of fashion in the late 70s, early 80s, all the way through the 90s, and then... You know, this deal with Pendant and his new book is maybe just like a, a second coming. And plus, the fall of the Soviet Union a few years prior mm. would have helped as well. I sure. think that would have really bolstered his image. Yeah, and I think mm. that would have, um, you know, because a lot of, you know, even though the Soviet Union was, you know, for, for nearly 50 years there was a Cold War and it dominated life in the West, um, you know, a lot of what life was like was still kind of. You know, it was still unknown to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So at the fall of the Soviet Union, and a lot of people who maybe were held down or held back were, you know, moved moved abroad, and you know, there was a lot more freedom and information was a lot more available. Mm -hmm. Life in the Soviet Union became a lot more commonly known. Yeah. By you know people outside of so maybe that wave of interest in well what was the Soviet Union like like let's look let's look back on it his, historically mm, now that mm. it's not a threat and there was like a yes there was and like a was, sudden resurgence in Russian literature yeah yeah and also. Uh, you know, Western interest in 
life in the Soviet Union, and I think he maybe just rode that wave. Yeah, he did. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe his old works became popular again, mm-hmm, yep. and it revitalized his career. And he wrote a new book, and you know, it's awesome. And Penn and were able to secure him for yeah, this book for a million that, dollars. Yeah, that's wow. right. Huge, um, huge money. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the basic timeline, I think. And it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought about it, and I think it all kind of fits. That's a fantastic timeline. Yeah. Probably one of the most definitive ones you've ever done for a character. Well, I really like Yuri. So you do. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. He's. I have a feeling he'll be pretty high in your top twenty. Well, we'll wait and see. Wait um, and see, yeah, but you, 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 I was going to say you mentioned that um, yep. you had an idea of why he really, really hates beeping. I think he's a perfectionist. I think he's one of those sort of people who needs because even um, when Lipman says in the limo, "Do you want to be in a hotel or do you want to be in an office?" He goes, "Oh, I don't like the office bickering and the chatter and the noise." I think he's just one of those people who loves solitude. Yep. I think he writes his best work in silence, away from everyone, and any beeping noises, distractions, I think it really irritates him, and mm. I think it kind of affects his writing ability as well. I think he's just got to have, like, a clear head, basically silence. I think that's what he needs. Right. Yeah. So any any sort of anything that a lot of other people could just sort of deal with mm-hmm. just irritates him to the point where he just loses his mind. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. And it really aggravates him. And something tells me as well, because when uh, he's he's doing a bit of proofreading, he sits on, like, the chair while they sit on the couch. I think Yuri's not one of those people who sits at a desk and writes. I think he's one of those people who, like, might just get up, sit on the couch, go sit in a chair, hmm. sit in his bed. I think he's one of those people who needs to move around. He's very dynamic okay. in terms of where he likes to sit. I know, it's just kind of based on where he was sitting and he was doing some writing and proofreading and stuff. Yeah. I think he just likes... He doesn't like being in one spot all the time. I That's a good point, actually, because yeah, yeah. in that hotel I scene, that yeah. I paused it to see if there was any clues to his character, mm. um, you know, any little trinkets or Well, he had that book effects. from, uh, was it Rimsky? Rimsky, yeah. Rimsky, yeah. And when Jerry says, Rimsky, you know, great writer, you know, I almost <laughs> finished reading it. But you see... I've read it cover to cover. <laughs> well, no, he says, I nearly finished it. I nearly finished it. I almost it. finished reading it or cover something. Cover to cover, yeah. page to page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Testikov, like, it quickly, you quickly see it before the scene cuts. You see him go, like... Like make a make a face of like yeah he's okay mm. I think maybe he was maybe Rim, Rimsky is like a rival writer you know like, oh, probably you know like a, a a writer similar to him okay um you know and he was just reading his competition maybe so uh, Yuri's Coca Cola and uh, Rimsky's Pepsi yeah yeah because he does a face of like yeah he's okay like he's not obviously he doesn't put him on the same pedestal he probably as, respects him though yeah he probably thinks well he is. He is a colleague. No. But I think, I mean... But he doesn't put him on the pedestal as Tolstoy. No. No, no, And no. Testikov is quite arrogant. Oh, he you know, is, yeah, definitely. You know, he definitely thinks very highly of himself. And he's quite rude and unpleasant. Yeah, he is, yes. You know, um, I think he's an alcoholic as well. Oh. And I think that's probably from the residual trauma of a gulag. Yeah. And just living under Soviet oppression for, you know, many, many years. Plus, vodka is freely available in Russia. That's true. <laughs> it's synonymous when, with the culture. Yeah, because you do yeah. see an open bottle of vodka. And I think he's taking a swig out of it uh, when Jerry and Elaine turn up. That's right. And he's got like that constant sweatiness mm-hmm. and red nose yeah, like does. alcoholics do. Yes, he does. It reminds me of like old barflies I've seen at pubs and stuff who uh-huh, probably yep. just go there every day and bet on the races and drink beer. Or like the barflies at most tavern. Yeah. Those same you know, bums. They've just got like a, a big, huge, uh, you know, puffy red nose and, mm-hmm. you know, bloodshot eyes and that constant sweat. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of those. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else about him? Uh, no. I just think it was a very uh, definitive timeline you made up, Steve. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, uh, it was very good. <laughs> Some of your best work, I think. Cheers. Perfect for your 100th. I think um, even though he appreciates, uh, I guess, the Western, you know, philosophy of, you know, a bit more freedom than, 
Soviet Russia offered him. He seems to really hate Americans. He does, yeah. You know, it must um, just be that Cold War mentality. Still, yeah, I still think remains of it. Yeah, in his I, head. yeah, I think he just hates the, I guess, the materialism. Mm-hmm. Of, I think he likes the freedom aspect of of capitalism and and the Western world, but uh, I don't think he likes the materialism and the opulence of yeah. of um of American and general Western culture. Yeah, I think because so. he says, you know, you, you Americans with your sneakers, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, something or yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to be part of your petty bickerings, and that's right. He just ha- seems to have a distaste for. You know, probably materialism or... Mm-hmm. Or just you know. Western culture in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Typical. Okay, next character, Corinne, played by stage, screen and TV actress Carol Kane. Uh, she's known for appearing in films including The Pacifier, The Princess Bride, one of my favourite films, and Annie Hall, as well as TV shows Taxi, where she was nominated for a Golden Globe, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix, Gotham and Law & Order SVU. Uh, she was nominated for an Oscar in 1976 for Best Actress for the film Hester Street. Oh, mm. cool. Very prolific actress. Yep. Um, uh, Carol Kane. Definitely a New York native. She's got a real thick New York accent. <laughs> she does, doesn't she? With Corinne, man, I loved Corinne. She was so sassy. She was so sharp, smart, witty. She had like the great lines. They didn't have to write her like that. They could have just made her like an average lady. Temp, you know, low average temperaments. You know, they could have just made her like a normal person, but you know, she may have made her a bit loopy, a bit crazy. Someone who I think Kramer would really enjoy the company yeah. of. Definitely a Kramer gal, I reckon. If if those two ever hooked up, um, yeah, I, I thought she was r- amazing. Like Carol Kane played like it's a bit part, but she didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? Like she could have just been placid and stuff. But no, it was it was fantastic. I thought it was a great performance. From yeah, her. no, I agree. I want to ask, do you think that is her natural disposition or do you think getting hit on the head with an organiser just pissed her off and she was like that, you know, because she got hit on the head by an organiser and she's got these medical bills? Or do you think it just amplified her, you know, that attitude that was already there? I think she just has that kooky nature. Yeah. I just think it's her. She's like, I was in a machine that makes noises for 45 minutes. Yeah. I just think it's her character. And I think her, she was probably off for work or going somewhere and then, yeah, she just got hit in the head by Yuri. And, uh, yeah, and then she's like, what the hell? It must have had to have hit her pretty hard to go for an MRI scan. Yeah. Jeez. It was probably just precautionary, though. Yeah, maybe. I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people get injured from seemingly mild things if it hits in the right, you know, I mean, the if, right spot. If something like that hit you in the temple, mm. you get knocked out or. Definitely. Knocked, I mean, it could have put her off balance and then she could have tripped and. Oh, man, maybe fallen she fell. Something else oh, as yeah, well. that's true. Maybe she had secondary injuries as well. Yeah, oh, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, this yeah. is a bit of a. a bit of a dark turn but you know like a lot of people who die from head injuries Mm. you know in say violent incidents they might get hit you know hard but not the punch doesn't kill them but they slip you know they get punched and then they slip backwards and then they hit the head on the gutter or something yeah and then then that's what kills them yeah you know it could have been something like that probably something like that yeah definitely yeah um yeah obviously probably doesn't have much money uh or she's probably just like low to middle class because she doesn't have insurance no she seems like i i sort of put it down to maybe being like an actress or an artist yeah, and I think she's income, a creative type too. Income yep. is kind yep. of sporadic. Yes, I think you know, so. But she, she yep. hasn't, you know, she's the sort where success will eventually come, but it just hasn't come yet. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so she's kind of making her own way through the world. Yeah, I could imagine her living in like some cheap loft, mm-hmm. you know, yep. like an open plan loft yep. where it's also her studio. Yeah. Like uh, Jerry's girlfriend in, I can't remember the episode, um, 
where her oh father, Catherine Keener's character yeah oh, the name escapes me yeah where her father yeah. gives the tickets to the Yankees and stuff that's right because yeah. he works for them yeah yeah I mean she's obviously quite successful because she charges George a lot but I could imagine um, Corinne living in a similar style loft but I could imagine also that Corinne probably doesn't have rich parents I think she's just kind of doing it on her own yeah she's trying to she's probably lived in like a country town or another state and she moved to New York for work well I think she or do you think she's in you think she's a New York local well she's got a really thick accent so oh, she yeah, either moved she there when yeah. she was really young mm-hmm. um, or she's a native and yeah. I think she's grown up there her whole life I just think her character's like way better than it should be I, okay I, I just I, yeah I, I, don't, I don't think it's Carol Kane's acting or something but I just I thought she was great no she's really she's cool a fantastic character like probably almost like Mary Cantati level yeah right I think yeah 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 anyway Hmm. We'll give our top twenty later, and yeah. uh, are they I've, in it? We'll I've find got out. a feeling. Oh, we'll see. I got a feeling for Yuri for you as well. Yeah, so we'll find we'll, out. We'll find out. Uh, I've just got a couple of notes on uh, the hotel clerk. Oh clerk. yeah, his yep. name's Crowell. Yes, he yes. was played by David Blackwood. He's an American actor, and he hasn't had an acting role since nineteen ninety four. Okay, with uh, Seinfeld actually being his last. So all he's, right, he's cool. appeared as about four or five characters in various Seinfeld episodes. Oh, all right. What has he played? Uh, I didn't actually note it down. Oh, if you go okay. to IMDb, you'll um, see him. You'll see him. Yep. But uh, this role in the Marine Biologist was his second last and then I think he plays another character in the next episode or another season 5 episode they did that a lot yeah they did that a lot in Seinfeld didn't they yeah they they had uh, actors play multiple roles yeah Um, yeah and then after that he just stopped acting okay yeah or acting in parts that you know that are notable yeah Yeah. (laughs) he ended up being in student films for the next 20 years (laughs) (laughs) that's right yes Um, the only thing I really have about him because he's in one scene for about 30 seconds is that he seems to put up with a lot of shit and he seems just a bit beaten down by life. He just seems a bit over it. You know, when he tells Corinne to take a cigarette outside and she sort of gives him a bit of lip back and he, you know, he has to reassert himself and say, please take it outside. I think he just, I'm, I'm sure he's working at a pretty upmarket hotel. He he probably deals with so many rich goes, assholes. Yeah. So he's like, oh, screw yeah, this. You he know just I mean? had a, he just had a, you know, he's professional and he does his job. Yeah. But he just had this like... I'm so sick of this. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm fucking over it. I've been doing this for 20 years mm-hmm. and I hate it. I yeah. hate these pricks. That's it. We're done. And, and Corinne is just another jerk, yep. you know, who's, you know, disregarding really simple, considerate <laughs> rules, um, you know, and he just... He just looks defeated. Yeah, you know, internally, <laughs> he, he just looks. He looks. He just looks worn down. He's like, "This is the eighth time I've done this today." Exactly. She's not a hooker, but I've done it to like six other hookers yep. who came in here. God yep. damn yep. it! Seven other hookers. Yep. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um. And the woman on the beach. Yeah. Well, I I, I did say that I had a couple of notes. Um. I don't. I don't okay. know why I said I did, but oh, good. um. The only thing I have is that she's played by Heather Morgan, and she's mm-hmm. an American actress who's played roles in shows Brave New World and also the Dana Carvey show. Yeah, and, and they ask who, like, what's going on, George and Diane, and she says, oh, there's a beach whale. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Easy. That's her, that's her only contribution. That's right. That's all the secondary characters from our 100th episode. This one, the marine biologist. Yes. Uh, we'll take another very short break, and then uh, we'll come back, and we'll go through our top 10 characters, secondary characters, and uh, episodes, and then we'll wrap up. Yes. Sounds good. Are you looking for a brand new conversation podcast? Well... You found it. My name's Ivan Pugioni, and in my relaunched podcast in Melbourne last week, I speak to everyday people who do extraordinary things. When you go into the, the inner workings of the story, you know, when you get into the nuts and bolts of stuff, even if you're going to have a story about escapism, you, you want the reader to easily relate to things. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever else you can get your podcasts. So this is our 100th episode, Stephen, and we just talked about Season 5, Episode 14's secondary characters, the marine biologist. 
a classic episode and definitely lived up to the hype. I knew it was a classic and I knew it was amazing. I knew it would probably rank pretty highly in my top episodes of all time. So I'll start with you first, Stephen. So out of the 81 episodes that we've done, not including our special eps, uh, where does the marine biologist sit? Uh, it sits at number 14. 14. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. I, um, I I mean, the episodes are classic for a reason. Yeah. Um, many of the reasons we've already discussed. But I don't think it's as good as, um, I don't know, I maybe I'm intentionally being a contrarian. <laughs> I don't okay. know. That's all right. It's um, all subjective. Yeah. But I, I just don't like it enough to put it up. Uh, you know, in the top ten, like with the true, true classics, as far as I'm, or the true, true best episodes, as okay. far as I'm concerned. Fair enough. So but it didn't still quite all didn't quite hit 100. percent Yeah. Or yeah. I don't even know what it was. I just didn't enjoy it as much as my top ten episodes, which you can check out in the link in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? For me, it's in my top ten. Yep. Number two. Wow. My second favorite. I because I remember it being so awesome, but like I said previously, it was a classic episode which I hadn't watched for a long time. You know, but I watched The Boyfriend, The Contest, many other episodes very recently, but no, I hadn't watched The Marine Biologist in ages. I can't believe how well written it is. All the subplots you mentioned before that sometimes the convergence of all the subplots, it kind of feels forced and contrived. I think it was all seamless. Mm. I think it all worked really well. I think everything leading to all the main like climaxes of all the plots, I think it just works. And I can see why Jerry really enjoyed it, and it's one of his favorite eps. Uh, Costanza's monologue, probably one of the greatest in TV history. Um, it just really stands out and definitely one of the best Seinfeld monologues ever. Uh, everything just clicks for me. I laughed pretty much the whole way from Golden Boy all the way to Baby Blue. I laughed through the whole thing. And yeah, definitely one of the greatest Seinfeld episodes ever. And uh, yeah, one of my favorites, number two. Wow. Yeah. I just realized just thinking about um, the, the the convergence of um, Kramer's plot and George's plot, I think the reason why it works so well is because it's completely unexpected. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, Kramer, yeah. you're just like, he's playing golf on the beach and he sucks at it. Okay. Like, there's no, you can't foresee where that will end. You're and, like, well, yeah, yeah. This, this is obviously leading somewhere. Where yeah. is it going? And then George comes across a whale. Yeah, with, and the last with, thing you expect is the ball. Is a yeah, ball. I know. And that's why I think it works so beautifully. And how amazing that is, or how what makes it even more amazing, is he had 600 of the balls, 599 of them didn't make the water. That one made the water and it went in the whale. Yep. That one. God. Incredible writing. Yep. Incredible. I think um, if George. You know, if the if the if the um, crescendo of all the storylines was a golf ball being in a blowhole and George pulling it out, if you didn't find out via George's monologue, it would have just felt ridiculous. No. It would have completely unraveled the quality of the episode. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, like I'm if, glad if, they didn't have the CGI whale. No, <laughs> I'm just glad. Yeah, that would have that would yeah, have um, that would have ruined it definitely. But I'm just saying, like, if George revealed that he found the ball in the whale's blowhole. You know, just in normal conversation, rather than him delivering this captivating monologue, it would have just been like, "What?" Like, yeah. a, like the fact that he delivered the monologue set it up so well. But if he just had a normal conversation at the coffee shop, like, "Yeah, I was at the beach, and you know, I went out in the water," and da da da, it wouldn't have had the same effect. No, I just think no. it would have been like, "This seems really forced." It this does. seems like they had five minutes to deadline, and they just went, "Well, you found the ball in the blowhole. Yes. Yeah, that'll do. Deliver the script." <laughs> you know, that's right. Um, but yeah, it yeah, it's a it's a wonderful episode. Incredible writing. Um, so we did say. Well, with our top 20 secondary characters of all time, Stephen, uh, I guess Yuri's in your top 20 somewhere. Uh, he's actually in my top 10. All right. One number. He's n- number 10. Number 10. Excellent. Yes. And if you want to check out my top 10 characters, uh, secondary characters we've done, just check out the link in the show notes. Yeah. For me, Corinne, number seven. Oh, wow. I told you, because Mary Cantardi is number 10 from The Baby Shower. Um, yeah, I think her character is really great. Uh, I know she's only in like two, three scenes, but 
She just it just works. It she just hits like her Carol Kane's performance is magnificent. I don't know if she was nominated for an Emmy for this performance. I got no idea. I think she should have been nominated for special guest, you know, on a show or something. Yep. Like if she, I didn't check if she did, but I uh, just like the character was just larger than life and and more than I expect. I can't like it was more than I expected. Like like I said, she could have easily just portrayed an average woman, you know, just going about her business, and then this happens to her. But no, she's just got that sass and that character, and yeah, definitely a Kramer gal. If they ever hooked up. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're, they're both um, a bit left of centre. Yeah, so, well done, Carol Kane. Number seven. Um, so, in my top 20, who, who gets eliminated? Uh, Jay Peterman. He's oh, out of my 20. Wow. Yeah. So, huh. you know, there's, like I said, man, like I know everyone will say, oh, my top 10 secondaries are like the big ones. But there's a lot of small ones in there too. Yeah, it's a good mix. Who I've really admired and enjoyed. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, Jay Peterman. Look, he might come back. Maybe I'll change my mind. But, no, for now, he's out of my top 20. So, Amazing. Uh, yeah, you can also find my top 20 in the show notes as well. Awesome. Mm. Well, that's it. That's it. Another a hundred, episode. A hundredth episode. I know. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, by the time that this episode comes out to our non-Patreon listeners, uh, we'll be at the Australian Podcast Awards. So we will tell you next week if we won or not. And uh, yeah, it'll be exciting. Yep. We'll Ex- keep you abreast of any developments if we win or yeah. don't win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we are going to release a uh, Patreon-only episode, a little recap, um, where we hope to talk some other to some other podcasters and people who are at the awards mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just capture the vibe and, you know, have a chat to people and, and you know, uh, put that together and release that for our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, we'll give you uh, like a one or two minute sample of people we spoke to, but uh, yeah, we'll have a special extended edition edition as part of our fortnightly Patreon bonus apps, which only Patreon subscribers get. That's right. That's if, right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us podcast at gmail.com you can say hello on Twitter Instagram Facebook and Reddit and you can listen to this episode as well as our previous 99 episodes and uh, the various uh, I guess extra episodes that we've done Mm -hmm. through the couple of years that we've been around uh, on any podcast service that you choose and if you want to uh, rate us or review us or subscribe to us that would be awesome yes next week we are talking about the season 4 two part finale the pilot parts 1 and 2 awesome so can't wait I thought we were doing that last week so I've already done my (laughs) I think originally we planned to do that last week yeah yeah but then we did the unseens yeah Yeah, yeah, next week and then we swap that so all good yeah looking forward to to talking about that one that should be great my name's Ivan I'm Stephen and we will see you next week whether we do have an award in our hands or not it doesn't matter but we will celebrate one way or another we'll see you next week for another episode of Bidwabas take care see ya see ya Is that a title list?